Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones, or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. The following podcast contains dramatizations of actual events. Certain situations, dialogue, names, and locations may have been changed. Some scenes are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Carl and Billy Isaacs and half-brother Wayne Coleman were raised in poverty and neglect. They were children who obviously wanted and needed nurturing, and they never got it. I don't know why I had so many of you damn kids. Get out of here! Your hands on the wheel! They start stealing. They become petty criminals. Prison cements their bond. You gotta get out of here, man. But bars won't hold them. Carl said, anybody that comes with me has to be ready to go to hell and kiss the devil's ass. Well, if they're dead, get up, get up, get up. They can't talk. Together, this band of brothers will cut a bloody path. Get out of the truck. Down the East Coast. Turn around. This crime was so heinous that wiped out an entire family. I don't know what made us decide to, to kill them. We figured that they couldn't send us back to prison if they if they couldn't talk. In the small farming town of Donaldsonville, Georgia, 24-year-old Mary Alday heads home after a trip to the local market. For Mary, family and community are a way of life. The Aldays were very much salt of the earth. These are people that are very welcoming uh, they don't lock the doors to their houses. Mary arrives at the cozy house she shares with her husband, Jerry, that sits on a corner of the large Alday family farm. They were a typical close-knit Southwest Georgia family, and they did indeed spend a lot of time together. The Aldays planned to share a meal together after working long hours in the fields. She expects to see a bunch of vehicles that she recognizes outside of the house. And she does accept one, one that has Maryland license plates. It could have been somebody from church. It wasn't unusual to just have people drop by. She walks to the house thinking that uh, there may be something interesting waiting on the other side of the door. Nothing on this earth could have prepared Mary for what was about to befall her. Mary has come face to face with a family of monsters on a killing spree, and they have nothing left to lose. In a rural town north of Baltimore, Maryland, Wayne Coleman and his younger half-brothers, Carl and Billy Isaacs, grew up in a home filled with chaos. Wayne, Carl, and Billy 
were born respectively four, eight, and 10 in a family of 12. And they get very, very tight as they're growing up. Most of the family's older kids had already moved on, driven out by their unhappy mother, Betty. You are useless. I don't know why I had so many of you damn kids. Get out of here. It was a dysfunctional home, even if it was a home. Betty, the mother, was not a mother. She produced 12 children by two husbands, but to say that she was a neglectful mother would be putting it extremely mildly. Don't say anything. Betty looked at her children as a burden. There was something that were dragging her down. The 40-year-old part-time waitress spent most of her wages on drink, and the children often went hungry. The boys' fathers were both long gone. They were living a subsistence lifestyle, and the kids pretty much had to fend for themselves. Life wasn't any better outside the home. For 10-year-old Carl and 6-year-old Billy, school was absolute torture. What did I tell you, white trash? They were marked as poor white trash. They were teased and shunned by other kids. Stop it! Stop it! The kids only had each other. Carl and Billy stood out not necessarily for their academic prowess or their athletic ability, but because they looked like a mess. You okay? Just when it seemed things couldn't get any worse, Betty abandoned her children. Betty is the kind of woman that probably should not have had children. She would disappear for months at a time, hopping from one guy to the next. When you're not valued and you're not loved, you have an angry, angry child. It doesn't know where to place that anger. If my mother rejects me, what kind of person can I be? How valuable can I be? It doesn't kill your self-esteem, it obliterates your self-esteem. In order to survive, 15-year-old Wayne turned to a life of petty crime and encouraged his brothers to do the same. Wayne was the oldest, and within the family dynamics, he was always looked up to as the big brother, as the hero, as the savior. Wayne's two brothers are idolizing him and he's teaching them what he knows about being a bad guy. Their little criminal enterprise wouldn't last long. Social services ultimately intervened. The children were taken from the mother, which uh, was no loss. You don't call the cops on me, huh? You watch, you don't call, I'm calling them. The brothers were then split up. So that bond and that connection, the only love, really, they had ever experienced was severed. Wayne took off on his own, while Carl and Billy bounced from one foster home to the next. What are you doing, sweetheart? Billy was extremely young. Are you drawing a picture? Many of the foster parents had trouble because he just didn't acclimate well. He didn't even try. How could you expect a child to fit in, coming from a background of abuse and neglect? I don't know why I had so many of you damn kids. Get out of here. Get out of my face. It sets a dynamic with a child that I don't belong, I am temporary, I am not loved. Nobody wants me. Carl actually fantasized about uh, getting the family back together, being part of a family, a real family, a loving family. As destructive as his mother was, 
Carl still craved her love and attention. Well, actually, part of the psychological syndrome about people being damaged by their mothers is the more they're abused by their mothers, the more they cling on to their mothers. By age 12, Carl was damaged and rebellious. He was sent to the home of last resort, the Maryland Institute for Boys. The Maryland Institute for Boys was intended to help damaged children find their way, but it turned out that there was a lot of abuse in that place. He's preyed upon just based on his age and size. Who's there to defend him? Who's there to protect him? Nobody. What happens is he hardens, and he hardens and he gets this shell around him. He was no longer the lost boy. The angry young man fled the Institute at age 15 and found his way to the streets of Baltimore. By 19, Carl reunited with younger brother, Billy. But Wayne was gone. Wayne was a repeat offender. Final straw was he knocked off a liquor store in Baltimore and he was sent to prison. Unlike his older brothers, Billy had straightened out his life. Billy was not just a junior version of Carl. He was resourceful, he was likable, and had a job working in a filling station. Billy was willing to cross the line for his favorite brother. I got a little surprise for you. It was property crime. It was uh, sneak crime. They were not uh, a menace to society. Look for the keys, look for the keys. Billy is looking up to his older brother. He thinks a lot of the things he's doing are cool. They're like the James boys. The budding outlaws flew under the radar until Carl got into real trouble for car theft. As a minor, Billy never got more than a slap on the wrist. Carl was convicted and sentenced to 18 months of hard time in the Maryland State Prison. The people that you're dealing with are the worst of the worst. You're not going to be in there with the Vienna Boys Choir. What's up, new fish? You doing? Behind bars, a monster will be made. He's going to learn how to be the kind of individual who can bring wealth of pain to others. Back up! Carl and his brothers will blaze a trail of death down the East Coast. That was cool! Once you killed the first person, it became sort of a blood fest. We figured that they couldn't send us back to prison if they, if they couldn't talk. 
Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for your year, or design your summer. They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like, are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer, a morning person or a night person, abundance lover or simplicity lover? And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Carl and Billy Isaacs and their half-brother Wayne Coleman depended on each other throughout their rough childhood. They looked after each other. They had affection for each other. They didn't get it from the mom. They start stealing. They become petty criminals. Now young adults, the brothers have been separated by the penal system. Hands on the wheel! But can they survive on their own? Carl begins serving an 18-month sentence in the Maryland State Penitentiary. Maximum security in any state is like going from T-ball to the big leagues and it's not a big leagues you want to be in. The prison is a dangerous stew of racial tension, anger, and violence. When Carl goes inside... What's up, new fish? Hey, how you doing? He finds that there's one gang that's being run by African Americans that target new fish, meaning new cons. Come on, guys, come on, let's go. Carl's looks didn't help him. He's, he's not a big kid. I'm a see Young. Thin. That has Target written all over it. Two days after his arrival, the gang incites a riot and takes over Carl's cell block. Carl doesn't stand a chance. They rape him. Over and over and over. Eight hours straight. It must have been hell. Terrible. He must have been thinking to himself... I just want to die. Yeah. This was depriving him of his dignity as a human being, of his sense of self-esteem, of who he was. He, he didn't deserve this, uh, but he got it. Correctional officers finally regain control, but Carl is severely affected by the incident. We see the Carl after damaged, paranoid, 
traumatized because there's so much shame. This changes his whole life around, and that's when he decides, uh-uh, this is never going to happen to me again. I'm going to find a way to get out of here, and I am never coming back. After a stay in the prison hospital, Carl is transferred to the Poplar Hill Correctional Camp, a minimum security facility. There were no guard towers. There were no searchlights. There were no high walls to scale. Carl saw Poplar Hill as a fabulous opportunity. He's motivated to escape. Every living, breathing minute is focused on escaping. Hey. Within 48 hey. hours of his arrival, he finds an unexpected ally. His older brother, Wayne Coleman, is at the same facility for robbing a liquor store. When Carl saw Wayne, I think he was overjoyed. I cannot believe it's you. Wayne was someone he cared about, someone who he had looked up to. It would have to have been uh, some sense of relief for him, just to have somebody there he knew wasn't an enemy. Carl tells Wayne about his plans to escape. All right, look, we gotta get out of here, man. Carl said, I'm getting out, and anybody that comes with me has to be ready to go to hell and kiss the devil's ass. We'll get some cars, guns, and that'll get us the rest. We see a shift in power between the brothers. Now the younger brother yeah. is focused on escaping. He's the leader now. He's the instigator. So there's been a switch. So you in? Uh, one condition. Wayne wants in. Uh, George. But only if he can bring his cellmate, George Dungey. George was there over a very minuscule child support payment that he was unable to make, and they threw him in, in prison. Wayne was controlling Dungey. Dungey would do whatever Wayne told him to do. He comes too. Carl doesn't like this because he's not family. He doesn't belong. He's not one of the brothers. Finally, All right, man. Carl allows George to join the gang. So now what happens is they start looking around. How are we going to do this? The escape was almost anticlimactic. They waited for the uh, trustee to make his head count. As soon as he cleared the area, they opened the window, and they simply climbed out. The escapees quickly steal a car and hit the road. What they did was uh, they moved around stealing different vehicles uh, along the way. They set up to uh, look in the rural area in Maryland uh, for homes where they could break in and knowing that in the country uh, most people had guns. The fugitives now have transport, money, and weapons. They head into downtown Baltimore to pick up one more thing, little brother Billy. Billy was another part of that little group of, of brothers and half-brothers that had pretty much stuck together. Carl wanted his brother with him. I told you I got a surprise for you guys. The gang's all together. It was hugging all around, backslapping, uh, glad, very glad uh, to be together. Billy thought, hey, my brothers are back. I'm going to go out and have fun with them. Not in his 15-year-old mind did he realize what was about to befall him. Early the next morning, Billy says his goodbyes. 
That was a night. Yeah, it was a crazy night. Billy wanted to go home. Yeah, I should probably head home. He was glad they had come to see him, but the, he was ready to go back to his house. I got to get back to work, man. No, we're going to Florida, man. Florida? Yeah, we're going to Florida. They come up with this idea that they're going to go to Florida. Florida, you've got uh, babes in bikinis. You've got warm weather. Uh, you've got uh, all kinds of beaches. It, it, it's going to be a great life. Let's go. Billy agrees to tag along. Less than a day from Baltimore, the gang wrecks their van, but they quickly find another vehicle to steal. Wayne his heads under the hood, working on it. The other guys are waiting around, and a local boy, Richard Miller, drives by. 19-year-old Richard Miller, probably the antithesis of Carl Jr. Isaacs. He's a successful athlete. He's done everything the right way. Hey, whose truck is that? Oh, really? I know whose truck that is, and it's not any hey, of yours. Car, Richard is determined to stop them from messing with his neighbor's car. Richard thought he wouldn't have any problems with these guys. He's thinking to himself, fists, and they're thinking to themselves, guns. Hey, Get back in your car, man. No, it's not no, your truck, all right? You, Richard didn't understand he was dealing with desperate men. These guys were like animals, and they didn't care who they hurt. Carl begins wielding his power within the gang. Carl Isaacs was clearly the ringleader, the mastermind, and he really enjoyed uh, the ability uh, to direct and control people and get them to do what he wanted. This confrontation is about to turn a trip to Florida into a highway to hell. Richard wasn't scared of them, and that then inflamed them. They wanted to seem powerful and in control. Miller made the comment that he would identify them. They knew with the glance toward one another that that would not happen. Get in the car. They say, well, we've got to get rid of him. And all of a sudden, what had been minor offenders all of a sudden become people who can kill. They take Richard into the woods, where nobody will hear what they are about to do. Wayne tells Richard to, to walk towards the wooded area, and Billy follows. Go on your knees. Billy had no idea what would happen. They got rope out of the trunk. And, that, and he figured that, hey, they were just going to leave him there. Billy's told to bind Richard's hands. He looks up, and Wayne takes a pistol and, and motions for Billy to step aside. Wayne leans over and fires. It was a spur-of-the-moment thing that I think was, gave him some sense of power and gratification. That was cool! Miller's lifeblood is flowing out into the ground, and he's dead. Billy can't believe it. He had no idea this was going to happen, and he was extremely upset over it. Are you kidding me, Wayne? <laughs> Where does that place Billy? Where is that explosive energy next going to focus on? We're just going to time up. No witnesses. Me. No witnesses. Come on. Billy, at this point, realized that they were still his brothers, but that he didn't know them. 
he had seen a side that he was incapable of, of anticipating or, or uh, accepting. He wanted to get away, but he didn't know what they would do to him. And these were his brothers. So this was a, a real shock. The gang takes off for Florida, paving a continuous path of crime along the way. They'll look for money. They'll look for property that they can pawn. They'll look for weapons. Uh, that's what they're going to do. By the time they cross the border into Georgia, the brothers are desperate for their next big score. They're running out of money. They're running out of patience. They're feeling desperate. Whoever crosses their path will pay the price. Ned Alday and his son Jerry are wrapping up after a hard day's work in the fields. This family worked the land and uh, were just uh, good, God-fearing, church-going uh, uh, people. The Alday's were as close a family as one could conceive. I mean, the irony couldn't be any greater between them and the Isaacs and Coleman. It's the complete opposite. As Carl drives down a backcountry road, he spots the all-day family farm. They decide to burglarize it. They go in, nobody's home. They were looking for money, uh, any weapons, jewelry, or uh, anything that they could convert into quick cash. Hey, boys, you gonna wanna take a look at this? Carl sees this very interesting, attractive, alluring, Western-style holster with a six-shooter and a, um, a nice Stetson. Hey, put him up. Don't point that at me. Hey, mount up, cowboys. <laughs> He's posing a little bit. Wayne says, you look like Billy the Kid, uh, which is a, a little bit of a dig. The fun and games come to an end when Ned and Jerry come home. The men are shocked. Who are these guys uh, with pistols in their hands, these punk-type kids? Where'd they come from? Calm down, son. You put your hands on your head. They're obviously burglarizing the house, but uh, they, they don't have a sense that, um, that it's going to be anything more than that. You know what we have What are we going to do? Carl and Wayne begin arguing about what to do next. They've been observed, but so what? They've already been observed numerous times doing similar things. Well, we could just tie them up. Someone come along. We'll never get out of Georgia. You know that. What's going on in Carl's mind is no witnesses. Well, if they're dead, they can't talk. Get them. Get them. Get them. Go on. Come on, go on, follow! Where are they going with them? Billy, seeing the chemistry between both his brothers, had to, at some point, wonder, when are they going to turn on me? The Isaacs and George need to get the heck out of there quickly because they know that sooner or later the cops are going to show up. Their getaway is hindered by Mary Alday's arrival. Mary doesn't realize that the worst nightmare imaginable is waiting for her when she opens that door. Over the next 15 minutes, three more all-day men arrive. Carl and Wayne kill them all. They literally became killing machines on automatic pilot. 
With corpses piling up throughout the house, it's time to get out of town fast. Someone says, there's somebody coming. They look out the window, another car pulls up. It's Mary all day. They couldn't believe that they just committed murder and then somebody else arrives home. She comes in and obviously sees these strange men with guns. And she's in a state of shock. She has to be standing there saying, what do I do now? <laughs> Come on, man, enough is enough. We gotta go. Billy is thinking, we gotta get out of here. He tells him, what are you doing? Let's go. I'll be along. <laughs> you too, George. Carl tells Billy and George to get out of the house, to take their stuff and put it in Mary Alday's car. Carl wants privacy for what he's about to do. Carl proceeds to rape her. He does exactly the same thing to a woman that was done to him by some men in prison. It's all about power. It's all about a humiliation. It's both. When he's done... You want to turn big brother? Wayne does the same. It's pushing the brother to go one step further. The other must follow, or else they're weak. After all they've seen today, Billy and George are expecting gunfire. What the hell's taking so long? But Mary's still alive. So when they come out of that house, Billy and George are pretty damn surprised that she's with them. They wonder what kind of dangerous game Carl is playing. It's unclear exactly what's going to happen because now they've got her and essentially they're kidnapping her. So what are they going to do with her? The fugitives ditch their own car and take Mary to a wooded area about six miles away. Billy is praying that they'll abandon her there. Hey, I'd have a little more fun. Carl asks Billy if he wants to have a go at it with, with Mary Alde, and Billy is horrified and says no. You want a piece of this, Billy? No. He's still 15 years old. He doesn't want to get involved with doing this. What about me? George Dungey speaks up. What about me? Carl wants George to get his hands dirty for the first time. And so what happens is George takes Mary Alde aside. He rapes her. He was watched by Carl and Wayne and Billy. You show her his bomb. And they made comments. I thought you were stronger than that. <laughs> the brutality isn't over. Do I have to do this by myself? They got into an argument, George and Carl, over who was going to kill Mary. I'll do it. Okay. George wanted to kill Mary. Get up. Now, he's really part of the group. Get up. I said get up! There is no way out for George Dungy. He's with them thick or thin. The brothers knew George needed to be a part of this. They needed to spread the blood around. 
Please just let me fix my shirt. And then she begs. She doesn't beg, don't kill me. She says, let me put my clothes on before you kill me because she don't want to be found naked. Carol! You don't have all day. They just walked away and left her like so much refuse by the side of the road. <laughs> you crying? Billy was obviously uh, remorseful. He was guilt-stricken. He was grieving for, for his innocence. It was lost. Billy cannot believe the massacre that has occurred. He looks at his brothers, and there's no question that they get off simply on the power. Early the next morning, concerned family members send the sheriff to check on the Alde home. They know that something is amiss because all the vehicles are there. No lights are on. Nobody's seen anything. Inside, he discovers a massacre. Five men from the Alday family have been executed. Almost all the Alday men had been wiped out. The father, Ned Sr., his sons, Jerry, Aubrey, and Jimmy, even Ned's brother, Chester. It was tragic. It was one of the worst crimes in Georgia. This is a horrific scene where people who've been uh, laid face down and executed, uh, shot multiple times. You've got blood all over the place. It is a revolting, tragic scene. And there's no way to process it emotionally. Later that day, searchers find Mary's body in the woods. Her body was uh, was on an ant bed, uh, which just adds all the more degradation, uh, just desecration of the body, and just people who frankly don't give a damn. News of the murders rips through southern Georgia like a tornado from hell. It's just like one day there's an all-day family, and then one day there's not. It's a community where everybody grew up together, so a crime like this set that community on edge and turned it upside down. The townsfolk clamor for answers, but detectives have nothing to give them. There was physical evidence. There were fingerprints. But in 1973, there is no national criminal database. Those prints would have to sit in a file awaiting uh, identification. Wayne and Carl put as many miles as they can between themselves and the all-day murders. They traveled into Alabama. They were just moving uh, rapidly uh, from state to state. Billy's coming unglued. He can't outrun the memory of what his brothers have done. He is crying. He is, in their eyes, being a baby, a sissy, not a man. They realized Billy didn't have the stomach for this, and they did. So we got to do something about him. Do something about what? Okay, I'm looking at him. What? He's going to crack. He's not going to crack. He's going to crack. He's a rat. Wayne says, we need to kill Billy. And Carl says, we can't kill our brother. And Wayne says, he's not my brother. Billy's emerging conscience is a liability for the gang. It's brother against brother 
and Carl is going to have to choose sides. Billy was the only person in the world who looked up to Carl Isaacs. Hey, it's gonna be all right. There's no way he's gonna let anything happen to the one person in the world that gives him self-esteem. Carl has to do something now to save his brother's life. The decision is made that, hey, we're gonna go home. We're gonna go back to Baltimore. Just take me home, please. The gang will drop Billy off and head to Canada. It's a pretty good plan, and it solves everybody's problem. It gets Billy out of Wayne's hair, and then they'll keep going to Canada and they'll escape. Less than a day's ride from home, the fugitives are running low on gas and money. They stop to rob a convenience store. The guys go into the store, they wave their guns around, they tie up the clerk and, and the customers, take the cash, and run out into the, uh, into the getaway car. They didn't kill everybody in this big country store. Why did they leave them, and why did they kill Richard, and why did they kill uh, the all days? I don't know exactly why. They make a mistake. They do not cut the phone lines before they leave. One of the clerks is able to get free, calls the police. <laughs> Billy, you got the telephone wires? By nightfall, the manhunt is on for the brothers. It's not far before they encounter a roadblock and there's nothing to do but abandon the car. Now they're on foot. Wait, this way! Officers give chase. George panics and hides. George is quickly apprehended. What's your name? George, sir. George was absolutely terrified. Police have no idea about the all-day murders, but everything changes when they ask George about the watch on his wrist. George? George, yes, sir. Where'd you get that watch? George Dungy was wearing a woman's wrist watch, which was very strange and out of the ordinary for somebody like that. George is so simple-minded that he tells him who he is, and he's wearing Mrs. Alday's wristwatch. So immediately, they can link George and by extension, the Isaacs to the Alday massacre. Where are the rest of your friends, George? George started talking right away. He told him everything. Police begin combing the woods for the brothers. The boys had always maintained, especially Carl, that they would never be taken alive. That no matter what, they were gonna shoot it out. By dawn, police track them down. Finally, a few of the police officers spot the Isaacs and Coleman. And they got him. They got him. There was no fiery shootout. There was no false heroics. It ended with a whimper. The four fugitives are extradited back to Georgia, but only three of them go to trial for the all-day family murders. Billy's lawyer makes a deal where Billy will testify against his brothers in return for being charged with burglary and kidnapping with a maximum of 40 years behind bars. Throughout his entire testimony, there was nothing to suggest remorse on the part of Carl Isaacs, Wayne Carl Coleman, or George Dungy. 
Billy's testimony seals their fate. Wayne Coleman and George Dundee get life in prison. Mastermind Carl Isaacs pays the ultimate price. Carl Isaacs was convicted of six murders, and he received six death sentences. Five years after the killings, Carl is interviewed for a documentary on death row inmates. Well, we went in the trailer about four o'clock, and like I say, we were after money. For the first time, he admits to killing the Aldays. Carl begins with the murders of Ned and Jerry. When the first two men pulled up, all four of us were armed, and uh, we knew that they could identify us. So rather than tie them up and just leave them, we figured that they couldn't send us back to prison if they, if they couldn't talk. And both of them were shot. Moments after, two more men arrive, Ned's son, Chester, and his brother, Aubrey. Uh, they didn't look like they were getting out of the truck, so I told Billy that we'd go out and bring them in. I took one of them into the south bedroom. Wayne took the other one into the north bedroom. Both of them were shot. We heard a tractor pull up in the driveway. The last man to show up is Jimmy Alday, Jerry's brother. As Wayne looked out the, the window, and he just waited for the man to, to come to the door. When the man knocked, Wayne opened the door and threw down on him and told him to come on in. We shook him down. He was told him to lay on the sofa in the living room. No sooner he shot him when Mary Alday pulled up. I told Wayne and Billy to go out and transfer the guns and stuff from our car to her car. And while they were gone, I raped Mary all day. And while I was doing that, Wayne came in, and he raped her. There'll be a special place in hell for uh, people like Carl Isaacs. He never once expressed any remorse whatsoever. Carl Isaacs is truly a, a, an evil human being, and I say that with, uh, with absolute certainty. Ironically, when Carl appeals his death sentence, his own words condemn him to die. More than 40 years later, the haunting memory of one family destroying another still remains. I believe that Wayne Carl Coleman, Carl Isaacs, and Billy were unable to experience empathy, and the all-day family members were simply inconveniences for them to be disposed of. The Aldays died because they came up against a family with the exact reverse of what they were. Unloved, disrespected, violent individuals who had no conscience. Billy Isaacs was paroled in 1994. He was a volunteer prison chaplain until his death in 2009. Wayne Coleman remains in Georgia State Prison. On May 6, 2003, Carl Isaacs was executed by lethal injection. Three all-day family members witnessed his death. Hold up. 
Nickelodeon was kid everything. But that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set. An ID true crime event. Sunday, March 17th at 9 on ID and stream on Max.